It's good to be with you here tonight, and I enjoy uh, speaking. I enjoy speaking to, to young people and, and, and youth, and so uh, it's so hard for me to talk to, to, uh, to old people. So, um, so if you're, you're here tonight and you're old, you just hang in there, okay? Um, it's all right. By the way, I figured, you know, it'll be a few years and you'll be dead, so it's... it's, it's um, We'll be here. And you look at my screen, and I know you look at the screen tonight and you go, boy, that's kind of spooky for, you know, kind of weird. But speaking of dead, we're going to talk about dead. Uh, uh, what does it mean to be dead? And then, but you look at it and say, wait a minute, you talk about real freedom there. And I find this, that real freedom comes by learning what does it mean to be dead. Uh, and you all know that in Christianity, we have all these Christian words. Many of you have been saved in the last few years. Have you, have you noticed this, that in Christianity we have all these new words we say? It's like a secret cult. You come in here, we have all these new words, like justification. How many times have you heard that word out there in the real wor- world? That, you know, have you been justified? Whoa, you know, I don't know if I'm giving enough time yet to, to know. You know but justification means this. That if you were saved, if you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I love this church because this message is proclaimed clearly, that we are all sinners without hope. And Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and we must put our faith and trust in him. And here's, here's what happens. This really blows me out of the water. That God says, I will justify you. I will declare you righteous. Think of that. Your position with God, your position. Now, now here's the, here it is, ready? There's a difference between your position and your condition. Our position is that we're righteous before God. You're sitting there going, but you don't know me. I'm still a filthy, rotten, terrible, perverted sinner, and I got rotten thoughts in my head and heart and stuff going on and junk hitting and all that going. How can God? Because God declared. Now, this, and I met tonight to go through this with you, but I wanted to share this with you real quickly. I, I struggled growing up. I got saved uh, age six. I struggled because I'm thinking, okay, I want to show God I love him, so I'm going to give him more. I'm going to give God more. I'm going to give God more. And I'm really going to dedicate. I'm going to start doing my quiet time every day. I'm going to start memorizing scripture. I'm going I'm to stop saying rotten words. I'm going to start, you know, and, I'm gonna, and, and I start trying to live my life to please God, and then I fail. And then I try again, and I fail. Then I try again, and I fail. And, I try, and, and it got to the point that, you know what I felt? God said, Garland, if I didn't promise to, to save you, I'd send you to hell because I'm fed up with you. I mean, I, you know, if I was God, I would have killed me a long time ago. And, 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 I, and so I thought, okay, I've got to work harder. I've got to work harder. And, 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 and I'm getting frustrated thinking, man, this Christian life is so heavy. I mean, all these I got, you know, rules and regulations and thinking things through. And how do I please God? And how do you please a perfect person? You ever think that? No, guys, I'm not talking about your wife. But, you know, how do you please a perfect person? It's frustrating, and, and I'm trying. And finally, I said, wait a minute. Because and, and I, I, knew, I knew how wicked I still was. And, uh, tonight, I want you to know, if you still knew what, how wicked I am, you tell me to sit down. You say, really? I'm still struggling. I still struggle with all kinds of stuff. And I'm still with my thoughts, with my actions, with my words, and everything, and I'm still struggling, and you're going, man, and, 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 but, and I know how wicked I am, so I want the scripture to find help in Jeremiah 17, 9, you know what it says? 
My heart's deceitfully wicked. I'm even more wicked than, than I know that I am. I'm going, oh, great. <laughs> I think I know how wicked I am, but God says, no, you're not. You're more wicked than that. Now watch. I finally came to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And you know what it says there? Now, I like, I like the King James translation the best here. Now, I'm going to speak tonight on the New American Standard, and I know some of you have an NIV, but the King James says, it says, because it says, you are accepted in the beloved. People, watch. When God looks down from heaven, he doesn't look through your eyes. When God looks down from heaven, he looks through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when God looks down from heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ, he looks at Rick Garland, and you know what he says? I declare him righteous. He's holy. He's forgiven. Yeah, you can say amen. That that ought to stir us. Do you know what that means? I can walk out of here, win the whole world to Jesus Christ, and God will never love me one ounce more. I can walk out of here and commit every sin imaginable, and God would never love me one ounce less. How God loves me isn't based on my performance. So will you just chill? (laughs) Old people, that means relax. Uh, Can you just... (laughs) Can you just relax? Because God's not impressed. God's not impressed. He knows you are nothing but a filthy, rotten sinner deserving to be damned in hell. And here's in that state, he sent his son to die for us, and he chose to love you. Now here's the question, why? I don't have a clue, do you? But you're free Stop performing. That's justification. I'm not even going to speak about that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But after you're justified, by the way, do you know at the moment of salvation, 46 different things happen to you? Invite me back someday, and I'll I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you all 46 of those. I, I thought, you know, to me, I would say, wouldn't it be cool at the moment of salvation that God gave you all 46 one at a time and it was like an le- electromagnetic shock happened? You know, there's number one, there's three, five, whoa, six, you know, it'd be kind of fun. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, but after you're saved, it doesn't end there. I meet so many people, they say, well, I'm saved. Well, are you growing? Well, you know, when you, I got saved 30 years ago, 20 years But are you growing? See, God didn't save you to sit there. He saved you, but he also sanctified you. Now, there's the word. And the word sanctify means God sets you apart. In other words, he picked you for his team. God not only saved you, but he sent it means positional sanctification means God sets you apart for the team. Now, there's three parts to sanctification. There's positional, I set you apart for the team. Then there's progressive sanctification. Now I'm going to teach you how to be part of the team. I'm going to teach you how to be a linebacker or whatever it is that he's going to have you to be. 
which by the way, just so you know, I am, now I'm really getting a lot of trouble, but I am a Florida Gators fan. That might mean nothing to you, might mean nothing to you, but that means that I'm not a Georgia Bulldog fan, just so you know, and I understand, I'm just, no, no, not FSU. You lost your quarterback, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm up here, you're back down there, okay, so you can... But you know, so you got to play. You gotta, so, so God said, "Okay, I'm going to put you on the team." He can. Could God put anybody on FSU? Yeah, okay, He put you on FSU. But then He trains you how to be a quarterback. That's progressive sanctification, and an ultimate sanctification is someday in heaven when we are perfect before God. Now, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter six. If you're justified. If Jesus Christ saved you from sin, and I cannot do anything to make him love me more or less, then I can basically live my life any way I want to, right? You say, let me see if I get this straight what you're saying, Rick. You're saying that if God God will never change how he loves me, then I'm free to do anything that I want to. Then I can go out and sin whatever I want to. Well, that was honestly what this guy named Rasputin, he was a monk in Russia, started saying. He said it this way, let me just, he said he taught and exemplified, it's called an antinomian view of salvation, and he said this, if God gives more grace, the more we sin, then we ought to sin more so God gives us more grace. I'm serious, this is what he was teaching. Hey, you want more of God's grace, then sin more. It's your responsibility as a Christian to sin. Now, if you think that's absurd, People, there are, peop- there are pastors in America that are actually teaching this in a different form. I just, I, I was incredulous. I was watching, I'm reading the news. There is a pastor down in Miami, Florida, who says he is the return of Jesus Christ, and the Bible is no more. There is no such thing as sin. And there are people, they're getting tattoos, and they're like thousands and thousands of people are doing, and, and, and it's just spreading. I'm going, how incredulous. There's a pastor in Texas that, that makes sin not sin. And there's just all this going on. So it's, it's happening all around us. Understand, Rasputin declares that if you are a simple sinner, you're not giving God an opportunity to show his glory. So you need to be a super sinner. There's always a risk when you're teaching grace. People cannot understand it. We all live very ungraceful lives. Our sin nature always wants something for something. We can manipulate people by confusing acceptance and approval. So we tend to take grace to two human extremes. We go to one extreme and it's called license. Hey, listen, don't put me in the box. I'm, I'm under grace. I hear people say, I'm living by grace. And what they're really saying, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Don't box me in. And then there's people that will live the other way. They go to the other extreme going, okay, I've got to live by grace and it's legalism. I got to live by this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule because if I live by these rules, then God will be happy. By the way, there is nothing wrong by living by rules. Living by rules is not legalism. It's saying if you live by those rules, then I'm righteous. That's when it becomes legalism. And, and so you have these two extremes out there. So how do you, how do you live your life? Now that we are saved, how should we live? How should we, how should we grow? Well, Paul starts off right there in verse 1. 
And look what he says. What shall I say then? Are we to continue in, in sin so that grace may abound? If salvation is all about grace, and by the way, it is. Let me stop right there and, and make a, a shocking statement to some of you. You ready? Salvation isn't by faith. That's why so many of you are doubting your salvation. Salvation's by grace, through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved. People, let me ask you a question. If God did not shine his grace, how much faith will it take to be saved? You can have all the faith in the world. See, you're not saved by your faith. You're saved by God's grace. And how do you get it? Through faith. You see that? It's by taking the free gift. Don't make it about you. Keep it about God. For salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. And so here's what he's saying in verse 1. What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2. May it never be. Here's what he's saying, no, 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 it's not, no, don't make it about that. How shall we who have died to sin live in it? So why is it that once you are saved, you're not free to sin? Here it is, ready? Because we are dead to sin. The moment of your salvation, the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are dead to sin. That's the key to the Christian life. I didn't know this for so many years, and, it, and when I finally learned it, it dawned on me. Do you know at the moment of salvation, there are, there are two deaths? Jesus died to save us from the penalty of sin. We get that, right? But the second death is, we died to save us from the power of sin. See, Jesus died to save us from the penalty of sin. That's justification. But we died to save us from the power of sin. Galatians 2.20, for we are what? Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean? How does that work? What is, what is, that, what is he talking about? We're going to get to that in a minute. But understand that, because we all get the fact that Jesus died to save us from the penalty of sin. We get that, but what we don't get, at the moment of salvation, you died. You're dead. To save you from the power of sin. Back to our, our passage there, our scripture in Romans 6, verse 3. Now, now, now watch, because these, these next few verses, you're going to find you're going to find three words. And Paul's going to use three words to kind of explain to us the principles of sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? How are we to be sanctified? He's going to use three words. The first word he's going to use is the word no. The word no. Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ has been raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we become united in him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now look at verse 6. Knowing, there's that word again, knowing this, that our old man self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So we may no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Verse 9, here's the word again. Knowing that Christ had been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him, for the death that he died, he died for sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, interesting, that word no. Here it is. There's three things you need to know about that word no. First of all, in verses 3 through 5, it says, know that I am identified with Christ. Know that I am identified with Christ. You didn't know that you were identified with Christ, and and now you are. You're identified. The word baptized literally means to plunge, to immerse. He's not talking about water baptism, which we believe. You know what he's literally talking about? I I love this illustration. He's talking about dyeing dyeing cloth. And back in the Old Testament, they would do this in, in, in times, in New Testament times, you took a white t-shirt and you had red dye. You took that right white t-shirt and you put, dipped it and plunged it into the red dye. When you pulled it out, it would change, completely change the t-shirt. And that's what he's talking about. Know you not that you were baptized. You who were in, in one person, when you were baptized, when you were identified with Christ, Christ plunged you in there and you came out a new person. You changed. You're changed. That's what he's saying. He's saying this, that we, we have changed. We are now a new identity in Christ in our life. We have newness of life. It's not renovating the old one. Now, let me just illustrate that tonight. And uh, Gabe, could you help me here? Just put your Bible down. And yes, we know Gabe. And uh, sorry about your dad, but come over here for a second. And um, <laughs> right here. Now, now, Gabe, could you just show me what it would be like to be dead? Go ahead, just be dead. There he is. <laughs> no, your hands don't get spread out like this. They go over. You. You've not been dead a lot, have you? Okay, here you go. Now, Gabe's dead. He is dead. He is my dead man. Your eyes are open. Shut your eyes. It's really freaky when a dead person opens your eyes, okay? And you're not smiling. Don't smile at all. I'll drool over you, okay? Don't smile. So Gabe's dead. And and he's, he's sitting there, and here's... Here's the point that I'm trying to make, is that when you are dead, what does it mean to be dead? And and he says there, he's talking about the whole concept here that we are a dead. What we try to do is this, when we get saved, we try to renovate the old man. Now understand what we're going to find in these next few verses. Paul teaches about the old man. You ever heard that in scripture, you have an old man? Another, another word for the old man is the flesh. They call it, in Greek, it's the word sarx, S-A-R-X. The flesh, the old man. And the Bible says that at the moment when you right now, when you were unsaved, you had the old man's spirit. You had a spirit inside you. When we look around today, all I see is a carcass. I don't see the real you. The real you is the spirit that dwells inside these carcasses which God does have a sense of humor, just look at the people he created. But anyways, you know, you, you look inside, with some, um, especially FSU fans, but you know, um, just seeing if you're awake over there. Okay, you're awake, I'm just checking. But you got this, so you have this, you have this carcass, but the, the, all, that, all this is, you don't see me, you see my carcass. 
My spirit inside me is what's going to dwell forever. And when you're unsaved, that spirit, that old man, that flesh was depraved. It had no way it could bring glory to God. No way. No way. That's why religions today, every religion today, tries to make the old man bring glory to God, and it doesn't work. But that's what the old man wants to do. At the moment of your salvation, God put a new spirit inside you that will live for eternity. That new spirit cannot sin. That new spirit will guide you to righteousness. It's that new spirit, men, that when we have words come out of our mouth to our wives and then we wish we could suck them back in again, but it's too late. And we know that we heard our wives that says, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And you want to say, stop it, you know. Did you ever do something, students, have you ever talked back to your mom and walk away and had the Holy Spirit say, you're wrong? And you're going, I don't want to listen to that. And you get mad. Did that ever happen? Because the new spirit's inside you. Now watch. The moment of salvation, the old man is dead. What does that mean? Does that mean it's eradicated? No. Because if that's true, I still wouldn't be struggling with sin, would you? See, the word death does not mean extinction. It means separation. See, the old man no longer has power over me. See this thing right here? It doesn't have power over me. And before I was saved, it controlled me. Now it has no power over me. It's just dead. But you know what I do? I'm going to renovate it. I'm going to see if I can fix it. God, I'm going to try to... Do you know why? Because there's some parts in here, to be honest with you, I like. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk around all day saying, yeah, yeah, God, I'm, I'm trying to live the Christian life. I'm trying to do it. How you doing, Brother Rick? I'm doing okay, but it's hard. It's really hard to live. Well, why are you dragging that around? Well, I'm going to try to fix it. It's just a lot of sin. A lot of sin, okay? You hear that, Hannah? A lot of sin. So it's a lot of sin, and I'm trying to fix it. This is hard. Now, what I'm visually showing you, people, we're doing that all the time. Do you know why you're frustrated? You're trying to resuscitate a dead man. And it doesn't work. And here's what the Bible says. It says that I know I need to recognize I am not over. Here it is. What does it mean to know that I'm dead to sin? It's not sinless perfection. It's not dying to self. It's not a life of apathy. It's not pull yourself up by together teaching. It's not an undisciplined life. It's not change who you are in the old man. It's not instant cha- change of behavior. It's not a formula to self imi- to, to, for self to imitate Christ. It's not peace through change of circumstances. It's not a guarantee that circumstances will prove. It's not overlooking or approving sinful behavior. It's not a guarantee that emotions will line up with your consistent truth. Death does not need extinction but separation. We are dead to the power of sin. People understand when you sin... And I hear this all the time. Well, I just got defeated. 
I'm living a defeated Christian life. Not true. Do you know what that, do you know what that implies? Tonight, FSU is going to be playing Clemson, right? Florida Gators right now. I understand. I'll be gone plenty of time. All right, you get home and you can be there. Okay, get going, get going. Get, get to the bottom line. I get that, all right? <laughs> you know, there's a church on the road that you can... <laughs> but Florida State and Clemson both want to win that game badly. Somebody's going to get defeated. When you say, I'm just defeated in my Christian life, you know what that, know what that implies? I tried to live the life. I just can't do it. Because Satan overpowered me. That's not true. Here it is. Ready? The Christian life isn't victories versus defeats. It's obedience versus disobedience. I sin. Not because I was defeated by Satan. I sin because I chose to disobey. Ouch. Because that old man can't defeat me unless I choose for him to defeat me. It still has influence. It can still influence me because, oh man, there's stuff about that old man I like. Boy, there, there's stuff there that my inside I'm going, I, to be honest, enjoy some of that stuff. The new man says, follow me, and I'm going, I haven't been down that road before. I'm not sure. I haven't been down that road. And if I just tweak a couple things, I think I can fix it. You get what I'm saying? Let's quickly go on. Because there's a football game tonight. (laughs) No, I am dead to Christ. I'm never going to speak here again, am I? And again, uh, number two. The second no in verse nine. No, I'm alive in Christ. Now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is a master over him. The clause death has no more power over him. Maybe translate death does not command him. Death can never in the future command him or control him. So you know what we find? I'm dead to sin. I'm identified with Christ. I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive in Jesus Christ. It's not that I live in the dead man, but now I turn in the new spirit. Say, God, I'm alive in Christ. I'm going to follow this new path, new trail. I have no clue what's down it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to believe by faith. You see, folks, faith isn't enough to be saved. God didn't give you faith to be saved only, but now you need to walk in faith as a Christian. So many of us say, well, I was saved by faith, and now I have to do by works. I need to please God. Wrong theology. You're saved by faith. You live by faith. And you believe God. Well, the second word is no. No. So it's, it's, excuse me, it's evaluate. The first word is no. No. Second word, evaluate. Evaluate. The word evaluate means to consider. It means to calculate. It means to add up. It means add these numbers up, figure it out, work it out. Look at verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, 
But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead in sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus. Here's what you need to evaluate. Am I putting the truth that the old man is powerless and I'm identified with the resurrection power of Christ to practice in my life? Am I doing that? Hey, look, check your life out. Are you back there? Are you still I'm trying to renovate the old man? And let's be honest, do you know why? Maybe because of ignorance, you don't understand. Maybe because of unbelief, because you can't see it or feel it. Maybe it's because you secretly would rather live in the old man. And you just need to trust God. Evaluate your life. Hey, are you putting the practice that I'm identified? People, listen. You know, and I, I love it tonight. I'm picking on my friends here from FSU, but they're not, they're not embarrassed. They're not embarrassed to be identified by FSU. I'm not embarrassed to be a Gators. Not only that, I'm not even embarrassed to tell you I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I know. Let me go deeper. Now let me really offend another half of you. I'm even a Boston Red Sox fan. I know. I know. Isn't it interesting? In our sports teams... We're not afraid. We're not ashamed. I love going into stores, going to Walmart. Guy was wearing a Yankees hat, and I just walk up to him saying, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I run fast. You know, and why are we ashamed to be identified with Christ? Why are we ashamed to speak up? Why are we afraid to say, look, I'm not, af- I'm not afraid. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm identified with him. I'm knowing this, that I have not, I've been crucified with Christ and God dipped me into his blood. I came out a new person. I, I, it's on me. I can't hide it. And some of us work really hard to hide our identity. What does that say about you? I mean, ladies, if every time your husband left the house and he took off his wedding ring, what would you think? I know what you would think. You say, you put that back on or I'll staple it in there. I want you to be identified with me. And Jesus Christ says this, know this, know this, know this, that I am identified with Christ. I'm dead to sin. Not only that, but I'm alive in Christ. Evaluate, consider that. Am I putting the old man down. Listen, when we struggle with sin, and I know about you that there's times I struggle with sin, and I love this. James McDonald said this once. He said, when you struggle with sin, you stop, and the first thing you say is, wait a minute, I'm dead to that. I don't have to yield to that. It's not an involuntary response. Some of us struggle with pornography. Some of us struggle with anorexia. Some of us struggle with saying words we shouldn't. Some of us struggle with all kinds of stuff. And you say, it's just an involuntary response. No, it's not. It's the old man. But we're so used to obeying down and worshiping the old man. We don't, say, we don't realize you can stand up and say, wait a minute, I'm dead to that. Now I need to find God's plan of success out of that. That's called evaluate. And the third thing, finally, you got to yield. You got to yield. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you may obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting. That's the word yield. That word presenting means it's a command, by the way. 
your members as, of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That word instrument is literally a military term. Don't make your, your body weapons of war against God, is what he's saying. But present yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you. For you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Did you get, did you get the progression there? First you yield to God, that's his transformation. Then you yield your new life to him, that's, that's confirmation. You, you got to, first of all, yield to God. You got to know. Sanctification says no. No what? I'm identified with Christ. What do I got to know? I am dead to the old man. What do I got to know? I got to know that I'm alive in Christ. Then E, you got to evaluate. Consider, put it together. Am I dying to the old man? Am I following Christ? And then, how do you do that? Why? You got to yield. Do you get the acronym? What's the key? Let me give you this story here. Come on up. Don't fall asleep. But stand right here, because I'm going to have you do one more thing. You've been great. You could travel with me. We could just do this all over the place. You could, you're a great dead man. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do you remember it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. What was Paul talking about? If you study it, Paul was talking about, in the Old Testament, there are lots of sacrifices in the Old Testament. There are five. Paul was talking about, specifically here, to the, to the Jewish people, the burnt offering. Do you know what you, how you did a burnt offering? In the Old Testament, you would bring a lamb or a bull and you would, and an ox, you would bring them and what you would do is you would present it and what you would do for there is, is a form of worship, is of worshiping God. I want, to, I want to worship God. I will give you this lamb to worship God with. And what the priest would do is they would take the lamb, slit its throat, kill it. Now Watch. Take this flesh off. Because you could not offer the flesh to God. Because it did not please God to offer the flesh. Do you catch the metaphor? And the rest of the animal you cut up in quarter. And piece by piece you put the entire animal on the altar to be consumed totally before God. That's what it means to sacrifice. To yield To give. You do it piece by piece. My question tonight, what piece of you is God saying, I want you to give? Now, wait a minute. I think I can fix it. I think I got it fixed. Really? How's it working for you? This is where old people here will tell you, I've met people, you'd say, I've seen some of us here, we've seen people trying to fix themselves for years, and they're miserable Christians. Some of the most miserable people on planet Earth aren't unsaved people. Because if they truly, it's Christians living an unbiblical life. Do you know when, 
the burnt offering was first offered in the, New, in the Old Testament, it was Abraham and Isaac. It was, the first, it was the first discussion of that. You remember the story, don't you? God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Make you a great nation. I, Abraham tried to help God. Didn't he? Whenever I try to help God, I always mess it up. Don't you? And Ishmael, you know the story there. And then later on, Abraham's 90-year-old wife said, uh, I'm pregnant. That's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, some of you kids, can you, can you imagine your great-grandma going, I'm pregnant. It's kind of a weird thought. <laughs> Abraham was 100. And they had Isaac. And Abraham said, this is, the, this is it. God's going to make a great nation. He explained to Isaac year after year after year. Finally, one day, God says, take Isaac, and I want you to go up Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer your only son. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, in Sunday school stories, we get this idea that Isaac was six. Do you know how old he was? Between 20 and 30 years old. So, Gabe, you're not that age yet, but you'll do, okay? <laughs> so this is Isaac, okay? <laughs> and then Isaac's there. Abraham's 130. About 20 years old. He said, son, we're going to go sacrifice. Okay, dad. Go get the wood. So Isaac's got the wood bundled up in his back. Abraham's got the bucket full of fire there. And they're climbing up the mountain together. What do you think Isaac's first question is going to be? Uh, where's the sacrifice? That's right. I can see it. If I was Abraham, it would have been, it's a surprise. You know? <laughs> we talk about Abraham's faith, but watch. They get to the top. They build the altar. Put the wood in there. Abraham turns to Isaac and said, Son, you're the sacrifice. Isaac turns and says, Dad, what are you talking about? Son, I'm about ready to bind your hands together and bind your feet together. I can see Isaac saying, Dad, you're going to slit my throat and make me bleed out? Yes, son. You're going to peel the skin off my body? Throw it over there? Yeah. Cut me in pieces and lay me on that altar? That's what God said to do. But Dad, wait! Wait! Didn't God promise that he was going to make a great nation from your loins through me? Yes, he did. Didn't God say that promise that there would be a great nation and all this glory and all this prosperity and all these blessings? Didn't isn't that God's promise? Yes, son, it is. This makes no sense, Dad. I don't understand. I can't figure this out. Neither can I. We talk about Abraham's faith, but watch. If Isaac, being about 20 years old, didn't want a 130-year-old dad 
to do that, do you think he could run away? Do you think he could stop it? Of course. Thanks, Gabe. Now watch. Here it is. What does it mean to yield? What does it mean to yield? Isaac had to stop. He heard what his dad said, what dad is about to do. And Isaac had to say, Okay, God. Okay, Dad. I'm scared. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I'm confused. But I guess I don't, know, I don't have to understand to trust you. Some of us are here tonight and you're going, I'm not going to trust God until he, until he explains to me why he let this happen. Why did God let my divorce go through? Why did God let my friend commit suicide? Why did God let me be molested? Why did God fill in the blank? May I say something as kindly as I can to you? God does not owe us an explanation. The answer to a lot of our whys is who I'm God, will you trust me? Please, I say that not in a condescending way because I too struggle with why questions that I must give to a God who says, I am God, trust me. Give me five minutes, I'll be done. Here it is. Give you a quick illustration. Four points, real fast. Here it is, right? You know what we do? I'm going to discipline my life. I'm going to start doing a quiet time. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start cleaning up my life. I'm going to start disciplining my life. And as I discipline my life, I then will decide if I'm going to follow Jesus. When I decide to follow Jesus, I'll then die to myself. Then once I die to myself, I'll then be able to deny who, uh, uh, my sin and yield to God. You know what the problem is? That's backwards! You know, it says in Luke 9, 23, and Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, he's talking about dedication here, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Here it is, ready? First thing you gotta do is deny. Number one, you got to deny. Do you know what it means to deny yourself? Dictionary, here it is. To refrain from satisfying one's desires or needs. To refrain from satisfying one's desires or needs. It's to deny yourself. So number one is to deny. Here, everybody together. Ready? When I say one, you say deny. Ready? Number one? Deny. All right, that's okay. Listen, can you say a little louder for me here? Or there's no game. Ready? Number one. Deny. Thank you. Okay. Number two. Once you deny yourself, you refrain yourself, you say, no, I'm dead to that. I'm not going to satisfy my own desires. Then you can die to yourself. What does that mean? That means being willing to place yourself under the authority of Christ. You can't put yourself under the authority of Christ. Isaac would not be able to put himself under the authority of his dad until he first denied himself. He had to deny himself. So number one is... Deny. 
Number two is die. Ready? Number two is? And then number three, you ready? You know what you need to do? You decide. Number three is you decide. Now you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. You can't do that if you didn't deny, if you didn't die. Then you can decide to follow Jesus. And you can say, yes, I am going to be alive in God, identified with him. I'm going to be identified because I denied, I died. I can identify because I decided to follow Jesus. And as you do that, you know what happens? Now you say, I've got to discipline my life. I got to get in the Word of God. I got to do scripture memory. I got to go to church. I got to love people. Why? Because I, well, I, listen, I do not discipline myself so that God loves me more because He can't. I discipline myself so I can learn how to love God more. So let's quick go over that again. Ready? So, number one, what do you got to do? Decide. Number two, you got to? Decide. Number three, you got to? Decide. And number four, you got to? Discipline, discipline yourself. In the word of God, discipline yourself. It comes after. It doesn't come first. Listen, and I'm done. Stop trying to do a quiet time. Stop trying to read your Bible. Stop trying to come to church to impress God. He's not. Tonight, I'm gathering there's many of us that are here, that God has chosen a path for you. You're going, it doesn't make sense to me. Until God explains it, I'm not moving. I'm not giving up that sin. I'm not giving this up. I'm not yielding. And you need to first of all say, okay, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm scared. I'm frightened. By the way, that's, that's why we have community. But I'll deny myself. Sanctification. Isn't it an exciting thing? God promise that he'll always be there. And he cares. Lord, tonight, sanctification is such a sterile word, cold word, academic word, but it's reality, God. It's Practical outworking is so visceral. God, I look at this church. I thank God for this church. I thank God for the leadership. But God, I, I know that many are here just like me. I'm tired of playing a Christian. I want to be real. God, I want to see revival. I don't know what that means, what that will take. But God, I know that there's times I struggle denying myself because I want to know things. 
And Lord, I think there's people here right tonight and they're hurting. God, some of them might be even deeper than that, devastated by pain and, and, and just confused because of circumstances of life that have turned the world upside down. And God, they've tried to grab control back in their life again because quite fr- frankly, they feel that you failed them. And I just pray, that God, that they will come to the point where they confess their sin. They'll deny themselves. Die, reckon and identify they're dead to themselves. And then decide to follow you and trust you. I know that's difficult. But Lord, if we did that, just think. If a group of us really started living authentic Christianity, what a revival could be sparked in this community, in this area, in the Northeast. God, we could see a revival in America again. I believe it. Couldn't it? Wouldn't it be cool, God, if it started here?